The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For us, today is the second week of Advent, which means we are two weeks closer to Christmas. Amen? And for us, in the season of Christmas, this season of Advent is a time of preparation. And for, uh, for each and every one of us, preparation of Christmas looks different for us in different circumstances and different ages. I remember as a child myself, preparation started with my sister, both of us laying on our stomachs in the living room reading the Sears Christmas catalog. Any of you, I, I know, it actually gives you a hint that I'm not nearly as young as some of you might want to propose, right? How many of you remember the Sears Christmas catalogs, right? It was, about, it was thicker than my Bible, clearly, clearly with all the things we absolutely did not need, right? And we would sit there and we would circle, and we would circle to the point in which maybe the page is about to rip and star it, giving a hint, the proverbial hint to mom and dad, that this is clearly what we need to prepare for Christmas. As we got older and the true meaning of Christmas became a little bit more important in my personal life, uh, uh, the, the season of Advent also turned into a time of putting the trumpet to my mouth and practicing, because on Christmas Eve, not only were we going to play at the early service, we also played at the late service. And for many, many years, going to the early service and the late service, there was one thing and one thing only between those two services, and that was the meat and cheese tray at home. Gathered with Steve and Teresa Hurley, dear family friends of ours, right, Mom and Dad? They're here today, which means I get a pick on Mom. Just kidding, I'll spare her this time. But those are those memories for me personally that come to uh, preparing for Christmas and preparing for the Christmas story. And I had an interesting moment yesterday. Uh, yesterday, Maddie was at home with mom, taking care of a couple things. Ellie went with me to, uh, to run some errands. And, and nothing prepared me for what Ellie was about to do throughout that errand running. Everywhere we went, every person we encountered yesterday, she asked the question, Excuse me, do you have the Christmas spirit? And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. We went over to the gas station, because sitting outside along the curb underneath the tree, by the way, if you park underneath that tree, prepare for a car wash afterwards. 
was parked there and I got in my truck after rehearsal yesterday morning and it dawned on me that I need to go through the car wash thanks to the, the birds above. And so there we are, we pull up to Don Sinclair and the, the window is rolled down and the, the attendant comes to the window and, and asks which gas we want. And Ellie goes, excuse me sir, do you have the Christmas spirit? <laughs> he smiles, right? He chuckles. We get over to, to uh, Dakota Mart. We have our small list in which Carmen clearly delineates exactly what it is that we need. And we walk in, and there, former Senator Greenfield is at the, is at the checkout, uh, checking things out. I say hello to Greenfield, and Ellie, uh, uh, sir, uh, do you have the Christmas spirit? And he busts out laughing. And he says, oh, young lady, do you need more sugar? <laughs> I said, no, no, sir, we do not, right? Larry Lingstad is standing there, Salvation Army bell, ringing and ringing and ringing, and here comes Ellie with her, with her cash in hand. Sir, do you have the Christmas spirit? And then we go over to Dairy Queen to pick up her ice cream cake, because she's now 12 this weekend. Give her a round of applause. She made it a dozen years so far. And there at the counter with her cake in front of her, she looks at a 16-year-old young man. She says, sir... Do you have the Christmas spirit? Sixteen-year-old sheepishly looks down, he smiles, and he said, no one's ever asked me that before. What is your Christmas story? Today we enter into Mark's Christmas story. I challenged our confirmation students this past Wednesday. I told them, I said, you guys are going to help me write my sermon, and we're going to start by reading Mark's Christmas story. And a couple of my brave souls always raise their hand because they want to get up and read in front of their colleagues. They come up, and we read, and finally one of them looks. He goes, that doesn't sound like the Christmas story, Pastor. And I said, oh, but it's the best Christmas story. You see, Mark starts us with these opening words. He says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, period. I will say that again. The beginning of the gospel about who? Oh, come on, let's boldly proclaim it. About who? The Son of God, period. You see, we call it the gospel of Mark, but... Even Mark, right out of the gate, he wants to clearly help you understand this is not his gospel. It's not his story. He is the one led by the Spirit to put that ink onto parchment. But it is not his gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he is about to share. What we do know about Mark is that Mark is the, what historians believe to be the first gospel writer. Yes, in the New Testament, we order it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But historically speaking, it is at this point almost non-negotiable that Mark, the authorship of this Christmas story, the authorship of this gospel story, was the first one historically written. What we also know about Mark is that it was written about the time of 70 A.D., those of you that love history would understand that the Roman Empire was at its peak of violence and atrocity in Israel at this time. At about 70 AD, while the Spirit is moving Mark to write the story of Christ, it is at the same time in that the Roman Empire has finally had enough of its Jewish neighbors, has finally had enough of these new Christian followings down in Israel, to the point that down in Jerusalem, 
They did this incredibly technological feat to destroy the temple on the Temple Mount. You see, what they did is there was record amounts of rainfall. I learned this in Israel a few years ago. In that time frame, there were records amount of rainfall, and the sandstone that the Temple Mount was built upon was like a sponge. So as these stones, over, over 80 feet tall, are absolutely saturated with water, the Romans knew what to do next. They set fire to the temple. And when you heat that up under the temperatures and the speed at which it burned, what happened to the stones? They exploded. This is the context of which Mark is putting ink to parchment. What we also know about Mark is it is believed that Mark was one of Peter's disciples. He was following Peter, and not only has this atrocity happened in Jerusalem, he is following Peter as Peter makes his journey to Rome himself. And all along the journey, Peter is proclaiming the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. He is proclaiming the gospel of a man who came to this world to forgive our sins. He is proclaiming the gospel of a man who was put to death because of it. And in that gospel, he is proclaiming the resurrection of said man who walked out of a tomb, proving that death will not be the final answer. Peter is proclaiming that there is one much more profoundly powerful and grateful and greater than Caesar himself. Mark witnesses this. Mark is the listener to this story. Mark is the one putting ink to parchment as Peter is dragged into the Colosseum and hung upside down and crucified in a manner unworthy of Christ himself. Mark is writing this gospel at the same time in which Luke, who was the disciple of Paul, who is also beginning his story in time, it's at that same time that Paul will be beheaded in Rome as well. The context of Mark's Christmas story it's not a story about shepherds on a hillside that we are familiar with with Luke and Matthew. A story in which our kids this afternoon will very eloquently and beautifully display in ways that we all long for, in ways that pique our memories as well. Mark's Christmas story is not about angels and shepherds and sheep and Mary and Joseph in a manger. Mark's story is about standing in the face of the holiest, of the highest, of the Roman Empire, and declaring that you are in fact not the chosen ones. You are in fact not the answers to the world's greatest thing. You are in fact nothing but humanity and the display of it. So back to Mark. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. Notice this. Mark declares who this story is about, and the first thing he gives us is some verses hundreds of years before him out of Isaiah chapter 40. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Dozens and dozens of times I've read that text. Make his paths straight. 
Because you see, we get this text the second week in Advent almost every single year, and we will get this text two, sometimes three times throughout Lent, and never once before have I really understood this make his path straight until yesterday when I was sitting there. This was after my errand running with Ellie. This is after the, do you, excuse me, have the Christmas spirit? He is the Christmas spirit. We can hear it, Amen. <laughs> I'm reading this devotion that Carmen handed me. And in the devotion is this word. It's a word that suddenly clicked for me in this Isaiah text. It is the word. The whole devotion of yesterday starts with the word depravity. Say it with me. Depravity. It's a seedy kind of word in our vocabulary today. It's a word that piques the interest of volatile, vitreous, evil thoughts, so to speak. But the reality is the word is much more innocent than you might actually think it is. You see, the word depravity comes from the root word pravas in Greek, which means crooked. In the Latin, it comes from depravor, which means to distort or disfigure. In the devotion I was reading yesterday, it talked about the meaning of Christmas It starts in the root of humanity and where we come from. You see, when God created us, God created Adam and Eve, he created man and woman, he had a very specific purpose for us, and he gave us the possibility of near perfection. But due to our decisions, due to Adam and Eve and the choices they make, what happens is it takes that straight path that they had set before them. It had this straight plan in which Adam and Eve were given and delineated in their image-bearing of God who created them. And instead, what happened is they distorted it. They disfigured that journey. They distorted and disfigured their identity of who they were. And that distortion, that disfigurement came from sin. What their sin has done is twist them to always be focused inward. And I think for so many of us, this Advent journey, this Christmas journey, oftentimes too can be distorted and disfigured inward. Amen? Amen. For a lot of us, the lights on the roof The inflatables in the lawn, which if you haven't read your newsletter article, I go into great depth on my feeling about my personal inflatables in the lawn. They're all masks that are a hint, an opportunity, a try, a trying attempt to put what we think Christmas to be first and foremost. However, what Christmas truly is and should be is the innocents running around town saying, excuse me, do you have the Christmas spirit? Because that is not a distorted question. That is not a disfigured question. That is not a question twisted inward on the self. And I got to witness that every time yesterday, and it culminated with that 16-year-old behind the counter at Dairy Queen, in which he literally sheepishly looked down at the counter, and a smile grew, and he looked up and he said, I've Never been asked that before. That Christmas story, that disfigurement, is exactly 
what Isaiah talked about hundreds of years before Mark. It is exactly what Mark takes us into. It is why Mark inserts these words as the one giving direction as to where those paths, where our distortion is going to be made straight. And he says, again, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Again, Mark, Isaiah, they're playing on these words and they're giving us exactly the story, the gospel, the narrative of what we need to hear. And so then John the Baptist, remember the one who in his own mother's womb left when Mary came to visit Elizabeth and there in the presence of God in the flesh, in the womb already, John leaps with joy when his cousin Yeshua, Jesus, is present. Once both of them are born, as John the Baptist takes off on his own journey, as he becomes the proverbial lunatic in Israel's history, he's not a lunatic. He is exactly doing what God has called him to do. He is the prophet, and not only is he the prophet, he's the last prophet Israel will ever have. He is the one running around the countryside, bringing people, straightening their paths, preparing for the Christ child to come, preparing for the Christ man, the 30-year-old Jesus, who is about to do exactly what God needs him to do, showing up on the riverbanks. You see, Mark's Christmas story starts at the Jordan. It didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem. It starts at the waters. It starts at a place in which John has spent his 30 years of life at this point, preparing a path to be straightened. Why? So that Christ can come and meet him at the waters. And that path that is straightened and brings him to the waters is straightening us as well. So John in the waters is calling for repentance. He's declaring, you brood of vipers, how dare you think you can escape the wrath that is to come, as he says in Matthew's Gospel. And there, on the riverbanks, Mark tells us, he says, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It wasn't a couple people that went to go see him. It wasn't a dozen people that were curious about this strange man and camel's hair and a leather belt eating wild locusts and honey. It was dozens and hundreds and thousands of people who were realizing that the power structures that be, the distorted, crooked lives they were living, weren't adding up. So they went down to the river. They heard the proclamation. And the first thing John proclaims is, you're coming to see me. But I need you to understand, there is one who is about to appear that is so profoundly more powerful than I that I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to bend down and take off his sandal. And as he's saying these words, who shows up? The one he's proclaiming. Jesus the Lord. Jesus comes down to those waters. He looks at John. He says, John, I need you to baptize me. And this uh, throws John for a loop. John's, John already theologically knows the answer. He says, 
you, you aren't the one needing the baptism of repentance there, Lord. You are the sinless being. You are the Messiah. You are the one to save us. You don't need the baptism. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, no, you absolutely do need to baptize me because this is where it begins. Yes, I'm teaching us to read between the lines. Jesus is telling John, this is where it begins because it's in this moment, it's in these waters in which Jesus is going to take on our sins. This is when it begins. This is when he starts taking on all the sins of the world, and it's in these waters, and it's also in these waters in which Jesus comes up out of them, in which we have this other beautiful Greek word, schizo. The heavens are torn. They are schizo. They are ripped apart. And it's in that moment in which we hear these words in our gospel lesson this morning. This is my son, the beloved. It is him who I am well The Christmas story of Jesus as a baby is a beautiful one. But the Christmas story of Mark, in which we hear the heavens booming, the God the Father declaring, this is my son, the beloved. That is a Christmas spirit worth listening to. Last night I had this gift of, once again, being at these waters of baptism. Not of one child, of three Two brothers and a sister. We are in a hot streak of baptisms. Amen? And I've got another one next week. And for the first time in my career, one on Christmas Eve. Last night, the youngest little boy, he stands on the stool right behind here and he leans his head over. And as he looks at the water, he goes, yes! If all of us had the ability to declare yes in those waters, if every parent that stood here declared yes as we held those infants, those babies, no offense for moms and dads, Thorsons, you guys were here last week, right? You didn't shout yes, but the smile on your face said it all. Amen? It's in that moment in which the identity is declared. It's in that moment where the Roman Empire holds no weight over you. It's in that moment where all of humanity and all the power and all the structure that is thrusting upon you what it means to be saved is all washed away, null and void, in which we hear the booming voice, you are my son, you are my daughter, it is you, my beloved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Do you have the Christmas spirit? Because Mark did. And you should too. Thanks be to God. Amen.